Welcome to this edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford, on the Liberty and Justice Network, Radio LJN. This is Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis. In the second half of the show, we will be speaking with Cliff Wilming, who was fired from United Hospital in St. Paul for trying to protect himself and his co-workers by wearing hospital scrubs during the coronavirus pandemic. But first, we will start with news. From the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder on January 15th, 2021, entitled, From George Floyd Square Emerged a Radical Community, comes an article which outlines how radical communities have long been at the center of community organizing. The article stresses the importance of the idea of, quote, people over property. The article states, quote, the value of George Floyd's life exceeded the value of the property that was deemed fraudulent, the $20 she tried to use to make a purchase at Cup Foods on May 25th, 2020. And it goes on to link the struggle to the poor people's campaign of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., while it says that the movements have slowed in Minneapolis recently, it says, quote, with the trial coming up for Derek Chauvin in March, there's hope that the people there and the value of people over property in the radical George Floyd Square community will still continue to make history. Liberation News has an item January 13th, which states, quote, the paralysis that gripped the U.S. capitalist establishment in the aftermath of the January 6th Trump instigated fascist-led assault on the U.S. Congress and the continuing threats from armed fascist organizations came to an abrupt halt on January 12th with the public letter sent to all members of the U.S. military signed by the eight generals who comprise the Pentagon's Joint Chiefs of Staff, end quote. It goes on to say that top brass were concerned that military members were getting drawn into the, quote, seditious conspiracy, end quote. The article is titled, quote, the paralysis ends Trump fascism and the capitalist state. The article also says January 6th was phase one of the coup attempt and that, quote, impunity emboldens fascism. And you can read that statement over on liberationnews.org. Also, January 13th, Socialist Alternative has an editorial titled, we need mass demonstrations against the far right. Also stating that the far right isn't just going to go away and declaring, quote, Empty words from labor leaders or theatrical actions by politicians won't be enough to defeat the ongoing threats of the far right, end quote. While it says that the most emergent need is to beat back the far right, it states that Trump's millions of followers will not be stopped in the next weeks, but that large meetings of socialists, union leaders, and others must be called. It ends by saying, quote, even if the violent racists are driven back in the coming weeks, the far right could still grow and it is essential that the left and labor movement take this ongoing struggle seriously, end quote. From reformandrevolution.org, in an article on January 14th from Time Moore and Philip Locker, it says, quote, the U.S. ruling class is driving for a return to normalcy under Biden. 
Yet the corporate centrist agenda brings with it a serious risk of recreating the conditions that gave rise to Trump and mass support for right-wing populism in the first place, end quote. The article entitled Right-Wing Riot, The Establishment Strikes Back, is from a Marxist caucus of the Democratic Socialists of America. The article highlights how unlike many had hoped 2020 did not deliver a new stability but highlighted the multi-layered crisis facing the United States. Rather than letting Republicans and Democrats, quote, dominate the political response, end quote, to Trump and his ilk, it says that mass mobilizations are necessary to defeat the far right. It also cautions about the politics of law and order, saying, quote, offering police more resources today under the guise of combating right-wing domestic terrorists will tomorrow rebound against our social movements, end quote. Barry Eadlin writes on International Viewpoint, an item entitled Post-Election 2020, A Crisis of Representation, which appeared on January 14th, which asks, what can we expect from the Biden administration? And answering itself, says, quote, not much. It continues on to note Biden has, quote, shown nothing but contempt towards the left, end quote. It says that Trump's ongoing lies about the election have, quote, frozen the Republican Party in place. Not sure what to do. It goes on, quote, taken together, the situation amounts to a crisis of political representation. On the left, Democratic Party elites can ignore or toss aside movement demands in a way that their forebearers in the 1960s and 70s could not. On the right, corporate elites may enjoy tax cut windfalls, but at the expense of trade, immigration, and foreign policy that work against many of their interests, end quote. Ending by highlighting how a resolution to the crisis is not guaranteed and will only be the product of, quote, concrete political struggles, end quote. Larry Elliott, economics editor for The Guardian, writes for them on January 18th that China is expanding at a faster rate than before the coronavirus pandemic. He writes that it is the only big economy to experience growth, and this is due to its handling of the pandemic. The article says, quote, official figures showed the economy continued to pick up pace after contracting for the first time in four decades in the first three months of 2020, end quote. The writing also quotes an economist from Capital Economics as saying the growth will, quote, soften in the future. Well, that remains to be seen. Now we go to a musical break with Worker Song by Dropkick Murphys, and after that we return with my interview with fired nurse Cliff Wilming. And a note before we get to those, the interview with Cliff was recorded on January 19th of 2021, so the day before inauguration. So if anything crazy happened on Inauguration Day, that's why it's not covered in this episode. We'll be back. Yeah, this one's for the workers who turn out and Shipyards and mines 
So this is Nick, and I'm back with Cliff Wilming. And uh, just for uh, a full disclosure, Cliff and I are both in the same union, Minnesota Nurses Association. And anything we uh, talk about or say during this uh, interview is obviously in personal capacity. And on Socialist News and Views, we let people introduce themselves. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Cliff. Um. Well, sure. Well, for one, thanks for having me on the show, Nick. And uh, yes, I am a uh, brother of yours in Minnesota Nurses Association. Um, I am a nurse of about 13 years, uh, a recent um, uh, mover or immigrant to to Minnesota itself. I was originally born in Chicago, uh, spent most of my life there. My family lived out in Colorado for about 10 years and I you know we just moved to Minnesota here in the summer of 2019 uh, but yeah again I'm a, a nurse of about 13 years uh, uh, steward uh, recently elected to the board of directors in MNA I was also a steward and, an, and a vice president at UFCW when I was in in Colorado as a nurse um, and then even before as a nurse I was a steward in the uh, the carpenters union in Chicago a long time ago so uh, Kind of longtime union activist, and um, here rocking it with the best in uh, in Minnesota. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like so recently you were well, it's not too recently now, but you were fired from the emergency room at United Hospital, and this was during the middle of uh, the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic, which seems uh, crazy to fire a nurse at that time. But tell us about what happened. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I should start a little bit by saying I've never been fired from a job as a nurse before. Uh, you know, I tend not to get into a lot of trouble, uh, even as a union activist. But, but yeah, uh, United Hospital, which is where I was working at the time in the spring of 2020, uh, you know, right during the initial uh, weeks and months of COVID-19, um, you know, United Hospital is, is uh, it's a very central urban ER that I was working in. Uh, and United is very similar to hospitals across the country. Um, we obviously had uh, little to none uh, or no PPE stockpiled. Uh, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic hit us, I feel, grossly unprepared. Right. And when, you say, when you say PPE, you're talking about personal protective equipment for, for nurses yeah, to protect us sure. from COVID. Yeah. Yes, thanks for the clarification, Nick. Um, but yes, I'm talking about personal protective equipment. Um, I'm also talking about, uh, you know, just general protocols of how you move people around the ER or the hospital. Um, all of this kind of stuff was, you know, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants in the first uh, few months of, of COVID-19. And, you know, around those months too, we were starting to get concerned that we were being exposed to COVID-19 um, inadvertently, sometimes by asymptomatic patients, sometimes by this, the general nature of the ER. And a lot of us uh, felt uh, concerned for our safety, the safety of our, our, our co-workers and our families, clearly. And, um, you know, other hospitals started to issue these hospital-issued scrubs to their employees. Um, this would be scrubs that you would have at the hospital that would be commercially laundered so you're not bringing your personal scrubs home right. uh, to have to wash in your house. And, you know, the long and the short of that is that, um, you know, we made a, a, a serious case for those scrubs. We know that they had them in the hospital. We know that all the uh, surgeries were shut down at that time. So there was supply uh, and the hospital took an extremely 
um, aggressive attitude towards those of us that were using those scrubs and started to write us all up for uniform code policy violation. Um, and you know, it wasn't long after we were organizing actions around that, after we had made OSHA complaints about the safety of the hospital, uh, that we found ourselves run through disciplinary meetings. And yes, that accumulated in my termination on May 8th of 2020. Yeah. And, and just to, yeah, just to highlight at my, um, uh, hospital, uh, Fairview Riverside where I work, they've been wearing, uh, hospital scrubs in our emergency room since, uh, you know, near the beginning of the, the pandemic. I think they're making some changes on that front now. Um, I'm not down in the emergency room as much, but, um, but yeah, so it seems like a reasonable thing to, uh, to demand, uh, to not bring the, uh, uh, the virus home to your family. And I know we had a doctor that, uh, um, that I think was living in the basement or something at their house because they had immunocompromised family members. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's in no way is it an unreasonable, uh, thing to demand. So, you know, uh, thank you, uh, for standing up for, uh, for nurses in the twin cities here. Um, you know, you and I have been working together for a little while, um, as stewards in our respective hospital and, you mentioned it a little bit, but anybody that's been around you knows that uh, this clearly isn't your uh, first foray into organizing or labor work. Uh, so I'd be interested to hear what are the other um, past struggles that you've been involved in that uh, uh, were most important or most beneficial for you? Sure, sure. You know, and I, I should at least uh, make mention that, you know, it most certainly wasn't my intention to throw down that hard. Uh, <laughs> right. But, you know, the conditions were just so precarious and risky. And, you know, that's the first time myself, like, like you know, thousands of, of healthcare workers, you know, nationally ever had to, like, really seriously consider that our job could kill us. Right. Um, that was, that was um, uncomfortable to say the least. But, uh, yeah, I, you know. I, I mean, I, I had to push hard on my, on my end, too. And, you know, there was... There was a lot of stuff that wasn't being done. Um, you know, I was cross-trained to our, uh, um, to one of the units that specifically was set up to deal with uh, pandemics and things like that. And, um, you know, I was raising these issues, some of these issues of preparedness even before the pandemic. So, um, yeah, but but we a lot of us did have to kind of double our efforts because, you know, not only for ourselves, but also for uh, the other nurses that we work with, for our families and for our communities. Um, so I think, you know, to me, it's, you know, you're, you know, this struggle has made sense since the beginning. And uh, I think everybody should be, uh, should have been and should be participating in this struggle to make sure that we're prepared. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's ongoing. This, right. You know, this, this pandemic has got some real longevity and. Not you know, to mention I, pandemics aren't, you know, going away anytime soon. You know, no. the, the, that's going to be an increasing feature in our, uh, in our world. So you, we need that's, to be that's very correct. prepared. <laughs> That's correct. And, uh, you know, the, the nature of our healthcare system in general is, is incapable of, of responding with any uh, force or organization. But I, we can touch on that in a bit. Um, yeah. I, you, you know, really, my, most of my activist life has been in, in, in labor. You know, I mean, I started really when I was like in, um, you know, like in high school, we did a bunch of anti-racist protests and uh, you know, we're organizing, helping to organize like the boycott against South Africa and apartheid and that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I did a lot of work on 
U.S. military involvement in Central America, but it was really the, the Seattle protests in 1999 against the World Trade Organization that I really saw the power of um, real rank and file working class power uh, coming together in the street and disobediently, you know, in that case against a relatively secret corporate organization. And right. um, when I came back from Seattle, you know, the first, I was already a carpenter at the time, but um, it just happened to be during that big uh, housing bubble uh, back in 2000 or 1999, 2000. And uh, I was able to join the carpenters union uh, in, I think it was 1999, maybe 2000. But, um, you know, we, we, we were organizing right away as rank and file carpenters at that point. And a lot of the perspective that we had was that, you know, that we were very strong union people, uh, but that our union was not fighting adequately for the things that we needed. And so we started a rank and file caucus in the carpenters union there in Chicago It was called carpenters for a rank and file union. Uh, We ran for local office. We didn't win. We got about 40% of the vote, but, uh, didn't win, but you know, in the process of it, we did get to. Uh, we fought and were successful in getting the age of retirement reduced for about uh, thirty-four thousand carpenters under the district council there uh, across Chicago by by two years. So that's, I mean, that's like you know, winning thirty-four thousand carpenters two years of their lives right, back. Right. Um, so you know that that was just huge and it was really tough it was um it was fought tooth and nail by a very entrenched union bureaucracy uh we moved to i eventually you know that i realized that the housing bubble was going to come to an end i got it uh went to nursing school um you know really honestly i told my wife i was going to kind of you know stay pretty mellow and boring and just because of destiny i went into the chicago city colleges three weeks before they declared a, a citywide strike of the teachers uh, in, right. in those colleges. So, you know, it was right back on the picket line and we had student strike captains and occupying city hall. Um, you know, I would eventually get a job in the ER. We'd move out to Colorado where, um, you know, if you Googled my name today, you would, you'd find a lot of entries um, around in the environmental movement. We fraught the fracking industry there for about eight years and, that was tiring, uh, right. you know, but we did, you know, so we did, did some very in, intense, very grassroots, uh, oftentimes uh, contentious, but, you know, oftentimes very successful work. So, uh, you know, my intention of coming to Minnesota was to be a boring right. run-of-the-mill steward, and um, I, I failed in that miserably. miserably. <laughs> yep. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, we all want to do you know, especially as nurses, we want to take care of people and support the community and everything. And, you know, regardless of what people may think, we don't want to be engaged in all these struggles just to get the most basic things that we need, uh, in the workplace. Um, but I think, you know, as you do engage in those, uh, struggles at different times, you just realize more and more how important they are and that, you know, and that you're, if you're not fighting for these things, then nobody else is going to be, uh, doing so. And I think, you know, more and more we're seeing, um, you know, corporations in general and our employers uh, continuing to put pressure on working people and our, you know, our working conditions, um, you know, buying politicians, closing hospitals, um, 
so I just wonder, you know, for, for you, if you were talking to somebody right now, maybe they're in a union, maybe they're not, um, maybe they're employed, maybe they're not, but you know, what, uh, what to you would be the recommendation is the first steps to try to turn this situation around to a certain extent and build a, a better world for us and our, and our families right now. Well, that's a, it's kind of a million dollar question, I it's, guess. It's uh, a huge question. You know, I, I mean, to me, for one, you know, you got to know your coworkers. You have to be respected by your coworkers, and um, you know, I think that for myself, it, it, it helped to gain perspective to read labor history. Um, right. You know, I think a lot of uh, a lot of working people right now are, and you know, I'll have to say it's it's due to a. Um, uh, a labor apparatus that does not take a whole lot of time teaching us about our own history. And, you know, I think that getting familiar with those big, those big strikes in the, in the thirties and the forties or all the, even all the way back in the 19th century, kind of, it helps to provide a bit of a, um, an alternative to what a lot of workers see as kind of a standard union, um, kind of shuffle with, with, with strategy today, which is, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, well, you know, you organize, you have your conversations, you know, uh, if the boss goes too crazy, like you might file a grievance or you might have a, right. you know, a, a informational picket or something like that, or even a, a, a strike on a, you know, a scale that, uh, you know, that the, the Taft-Hartley Act um, is unoffended by. Right. Um, but, you know, those are big things. And, and a lot of workers, I think, are natural organizers. Um, we know, we you know, we speak each other's language. Uh, we know how to um, smell out bullshit, oh, right. <laughs> and and uh, you know so those things. I mean, you know, getting in with your coworkers, familiarizing yourself with your union—that's that's super important—and um, trying to gain some perspective and 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 history in what we do. Right, and you know, and those people that aren't, you know, those people, like I said, that maybe you know, there's a lot of unemployed people. Those people that maybe aren't in a union. Uh, uh, aren't uh, maybe and aren't even employed right now. Um, you know, I think there's, there's still a lot of stuff that, uh, that they can do as well. You, you talked a little bit about, uh, the WTO stuff in 99. Um, you know, what do you, what do you say to those people as far as, uh, as far as organizing goes? Like the, um, the unemployed or the, the unorganized or. Yeah. Yeah. Either, either of those groups, you know, where they don't have a union in their workplace at the very least, or, or maybe they're laid off right now. Maybe they're employed, but maybe they're laid off right now. Like. I think we can still we can still engage uh, in some political activity, right? I I agree entirely. I mean, it, you know, to me, it, again, it it, it kind of goes back to the 1930s, where you have, you know, you had political organization of working class people that it was independent of political parties, um, but you know, you had the unemployment, uh, the unemployed leagues back then that would. Uh, fight evictions and oftentimes, you know, have physical occupations of people's homes that were being, uh, uh, were, you know, where the police were attempting to evict them for, for the bank and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, you had organizations, you know, between the unemployed and the employed and the union, um, you know, but to me, it's, it's always been one big fight. And, you know, for those of us that don't have a union, you know, uh, even having a union, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm speaking to you today as a, as a fired steward. Right. Uh, so it's, it's not a magic bullet and it, it's really, I, I think coming to the realization that the, you know, the power that we create is going to be the power that we organize ourselves and, and, and use, uh, right. you know, it, it's never going to come from the top. 
That's absolutely true. Um, well, I, I, I appreciate all that information. You know, is there anything else that you'd like to share as far as, uh, you know, your current situation uh, with the firing or other ways that people can support you? Anything like that? For sure. Um, you know, for one, again, have thanks for having me on the show. Um, and uh, yeah, we're having, uh, you know, we filed a union grievance and we are heading into arbitration on January uh, 28th and 29th. Um, you know, that's provided some weird trickery doesn't take place at the last second again, right. but, um, uh, that's, that's our plan. You know, we have a website, uh, you know, or, uh, a defense campaign around myself, uh, at a website that you can follow, uh, go check out our petition, our sample union resolution. It's at frontlinersunited.net. Okay. And, uh, you know, certainly feel free to hit me up on my own, uh, podcast, which is we do the work. You can just check out our Facebook page and, um, you know, hopefully hilarity will ensue. Yeah, you do a lot of good work and we appreciate that. And well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Cliff. Thanks for having me on, Nick. <laughs> Take care. Right. Bye-bye. Well, some folks are going to get that notion. I know they'll say I'm preaching hate. Hey, but if I have to swim the ocean. This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with host Nick Schillingford on the Liberty and Justice Network, Radio LJN.